Hello and welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part seven of Me Speak Babel, also called The Gate of God. And our topic for today is the paradox of control. The question still arises as to why God would come to us through the incarnation without fixing this problem of tension between nations. And why would Jesus, God himself, come to earth through Mary and live for 30 years if he didn't intend to fix this problem of the warring nations? And the answer is, well, he did. He has, and he's doing it right now, but we have to keep going. There's more to understand. So let's resume on this journey. We're almost halfway here. Uh, in the desert, the devil says to Jesus that he rules all the nations and can give them to Jesus. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but that always jarred me when I came across it, even as a kid, because I thought, wait a minute, the devil owns the nations? Here's from Matthew chapter 4. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. And he said to him, all these I shall give you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. So Jesus is in the desert, hasn't eaten for 40 days, and he's being offered everything on earth, all the kingdoms, all of the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. Now, what's interesting here is what is not said. Jesus doesn't disagree nor does he rebuke the devil and cast him into the sea. You know, I was kind of hoping Jesus would just use his hand and make a crushing motion and the devil would wither and die, just like I imagine Jesus did to that fig tree. But that is not at all what happens in the desert on this third temptation. Jesus responds without argument about the devil's claim to owning the nations. He doesn't deny that the devil rules all the nations or that he has the power to give them away. And this is kind of mind-blowing when you grow up singing God Bless America and pledging one nation under God. Uh, there's some interesting reading around this uh, where the nations were granted oversight by demons. So, first of all, Jesus, since he doesn't argue with it, he's basically saying, yes, you do own, the na you do own all the nations. So, um, in John chapter 14, before Jesus is arrested, he mentions this again. Um, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So this is interesting. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Uh, the ruler of this world is coming, and it's the, the guards, and it's like the, the ruling power of Jerusalem at the time. So that's, that's another telling place, the ruler of this world. So not only in the desert, but in, when he's about to be arrested before his trial. There are various places where this message is said in both the Old and the New Testament. The, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, The Lord said, Listen to whatever the people say. You are not the one they are rejecting. They are rejecting me as their king. They are acting toward you just as they have acted from the day I brought them up from Egypt to this very day, deserting me to serve other gods. So in Samuel, God is telling, is saying that the people have chosen other gods as their, and they're choosing them as their king. So this goes to this nation idea. So there seems to be ample evidence that what was happening with the ziggurat at Babel has happened worldwide among all the nations. And while I've been saying that the rulers 
are just telling a big lie to coalesce their power and authority, there's actually more happening here. There's more happening than just the big lie. God is saying in the Old Testament what Jesus is saying in the Gospels. This is more than just a power move by a person trying to take power. God and Jesus uh, both say that the nations are actually ruled by evil spirits and that these false gods are actually demons that rule the nations. Jesus' reply in the desert suggests that, yes, without a doubt, it is a fact that the devil controls the nations and has power over them. Instead of crushing the devil, Jesus quotes scripture to him, which makes the devil fold his hand anyway. Uh, Jesus doesn't enter into the game that the devil is playing in the temptations in the desert. And this is really important. Um, having authored the Ten Commandments, and not to mention all of sacred scripture, Jesus, as God, simply reminds the devil that the commandments also apply to devils. And then he throws some Deuteronomy at him. Uh, he says to the devil, um, At this Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan, it is written, the Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. So, I first, the first time I kind of, this really hit me, I said, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Um, I, I read that line in various times in life without really thinking about it. But then it struck me, uh, what this response from Jesus suggests is that the devil has free will just like people do, uh, just like you and I do, and so, as you the listener, and so it seems... The granting of power over the nations was a kind of employment for fallen angels who failed the leadership test and then they became demons. Um, or more likely, as punishment for rejecting God in the garden and at Babel, God placed these fallen angels, uh, aka demons, over the nations on purpose because um, we could not behave even when we had our, quote, common language. Um, <laughs> We even were trying to take down God when we, you know, apparently were living in harmony enough to build a tower together. So, okay, when the devil is reminded that he is also subject to God's law, to the most high God's law, the fallen angel Satan, um, he is commanded to love and serve God. And when he is reminded of this, he flees. Um, this is kind of a stunning moment when you stop to consider it for multiple reasons. Uh, this means that the commandments are not only for people, but also for angels and demons. And spirits are also created beings, um, therefore must ad adhere to the same regulations as other creations, such as people. Animals and plants just do what they do because they don't have the same type of souls as us, but we have free will and intellect like angels and demons. And so we can't leave this point behind yet while I beat it into the ground. If we know that demons rule the nations, which Jesus confirms, uh, and we do, uh, based on the conversation in the desert, we know that. We also know that these demons have free will like us because it, it is told that by Jesus. And then it seems that some spirits might follow God more closely than others do. Um, this should really scare the hell out of you because the Tower of Babel then is more than just a big lie meant to scare the people or give them meaning. The people are literally selecting to worship a demon instead of God, the God of Israel, um, the God of the Trinity, the Christian God. So this means that not only is the demon fallen, 
but he is taking down the nation with him or her, starting with the rulers of the, of the nation, and that would be the elite. So in light of this, is it any wonder then that Jesus has come for the poor, the outcast, the diseased, and the weak? Um, they are indeed the only ones who know the one true God. So if you understand that what happened at Babel is not just symbolic of worshiping demons, but is the actual worship of demons, it becomes a much bigger story. And the problem um, is bigger than just some ancient evil Napoleon telling the big lie to the masses through a large public works project. No, if, if the demons rule the nations, the, this means the nations are not under God or blessed. Everything is under God, but the nations have this demon ruling them, each one. They may only be using the word God, um, the leaders, like Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson um, or, or Sargon of Akkad, uh, to amass power, to make themselves look better. That's the trick of politicians a lot of times is to appear religious. And of course, anyone uh, drives people insane to see hypocrites quoting God or using God as a sort of a smokescreen. And same with Jesus also is greatly offended when that happens. So free will implies that spirits can choose to follow God or reject God. Um, I've read that fallen angels uh, and spirits cannot repent. They are stuck where they are. They will not be able to uh, be freed from whatever choice they made in rebellion. So um, they have free will, but they've already made their choice. It's like they've had their particular judgment already um, and are awaiting the final judgment, last judgment. Anyway, it seems conceivable that if the demons that rule the nations are anything like us, then their pride will get them into trouble, just like us. And every now and then it seems that one nation does get quite full of pride and start bullying others. Um, and like individual people, this bullying usually goes on until the bullied either fights back or other people step in to assist and knock down the bully. So likewise, if demons are like people, then they may go into depression or despair or indifference. They may want to be alone for periods of time or even periods of self-destruction. So where am I going with this? There seem to be two main ways that people reject God, both stemming from pride and nations seem to follow this cycle as well. Uh, one, was, one way of rejecting God is through presumption and another is through despair. So presumption means um, righteousness, that everything you do is good and it's perfect and you make no mistakes. And the other is through despair, that why bother? I'm, I'm no good, I'm worthless. Um, the two brothers in the parable of the prodigal son represent this pattern perfectly. One brother is elevated by his self-righteousness and legalism, <clears throat> and the other is brought low through self-destruction and lawlessness. People go through these cycles just as nations do. Um, Germany went from the Weimar debauchery um, to full fascism due to a wild imbalance of spirit. Um, it will happen in the United States now as Weimar America is obviously underway. There are forces at work that can be sensed in the winds of change, um, if not openly observed as we stare into the widening mouth of chaos. The world of our common language is one big zero-sum game where if I win something, well, you have to lose something. We can observe this happening all the time, not only at the national level, but all the way down to toddlers on the daycare floor grappling over a bottle or 
um, elementary kids uh, arguing over who's who's going out with the best looking girl, whatever. Um, it's this process of desire being this competition uh, always happening. What's interesting here is that the Tower of Babel story doesn't explicitly mention this handoff to the nations of the nations to demons. Um, that's we don't hear that in the Babel story, but clearly it has happened um, or Jesus would argue the point. So he would argue with the devil if it did not happen, if it wasn't what the devil was saying. So when did this happen? Where and how? How did this happen? Um, it's kind of like you read through Genesis and there's no, there's no line saying the nations are ruled by demons. Well, in Deuteronomy 32, <laughs> everyone's favorite book, Deuteronomy. Um, so the 30, chapter 32, verse 7, there's a line that says, When the Most High allotted each nation its heritage, when he separated out human beings, he set up the boundaries of the peoples after the number of the divine beings. The divine beings. Okay, so God separated the nations and set the boundaries according to the divine beings. This is a pretty clear declaration that spirits are assigned to nations, to the nations. Um, the books of Moses say so, and Jesus says so, and Paul says so. In fact, Paul states plainly that other people are not the problem at all, but the world rulers and evil spirits. In the letter to the Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Finally, draw your strength from the Lord and from his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the tactics of the devil. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Now that is an incredible bit of information. And that's not all. There's more. Um, I think Psalm 82 and 58, the Psalms, the Songs of David, um, I think these have probably called caused some people's heads to explode over the centuries when they grasp at what is being said here. So in Psalm 82 and Psalm 58, the pagan gods are seen as subordinate divine beings to whom Israel's God had delegated oversight of the foreign countries in the beginning. Now God arises in the heavenly assembly in Psalm 82 to rebuke the unjust gods who are stripped of divine status and reduced in rank to mortals. They are accused of misruling the earth by not upholding the poor. The Bible sometimes understands pagan gods to be lesser divine beings who are assigned by Israel's God to rule the foreign nations. Here they are accused of injustice, permitting the human judges under their patronage to abuse the righteous. So those are footnotes off of uh, a Bible that I have linked in here for Psalm 52, 58 and 82. And this is a place, this, these ideas are where you can really go down a rabbit hole and start digging and digging and digging. Now, instead of going and digging and going becoming a Bible scholar, you should go sign up to help the poor or pray or fast for God. That would be better. So, but let's go back to the Bible study here because it's important, but not as important as uh, signing up to help the poor and praying and fasting. And I want to keep that point central because I can get lost in the study and it becomes more academic than doing what God really asked of us. 
So be advised, this tidbit of information about the sons of God or the divine council being assigned to the 70 nation, it goes deep and requires a lot of reading. Um, you even have to go into other books of Jewish history to really understand it. So unless you can quit your job and focus on it, you may just want to take Jesus' word for it that, yes, spirits have been granted power over the nations. And this is one of those places where you can learn about Scripture and get farther and farther from the kingdom of God um, while you're doing it. Whenever I reach these points, I have to step back and recall that I do not need to know everything, but I do know without a doubt that evil exists, which everyone does, and that God apparently allows it to happen, which is obvious because it happens. So rather than get lost on the mechanics of it, or the um, trying to get through all the words of the Bible, plus the, the old Jewish books um, that were sort of parallel to the Bible, um, I return to my standard home base, which is in Jesus' instructions to do this. Be baptized and believe, and keep the commandments. Serve the poor and heal the sick. I even made a little poem to help me remember it. It's two lines. Repent and believe and sin no more. Pray and fast and feed the poor. There you go. That's probably all you really need. You don't need all of my um, podcast or blog or any of it. If you say, repent and believe and sin no more. Pray and fast and feed the poor. That's, that's pretty much guidelines for living. But I do think that to understand anything that happens with Jesus you have to realize that there is more to this world than just chemistry and physics. In other words, the dragons are real, and they are driving this world, and they cannot be defeated without the help of God. And this is the great paradox of control. You have to give up control to get control. You have to admit your weakness to slay the dragon, because you cannot do it alone, but you can with God. And that goes for temptations in your own life or enduring injustice in the world. We cannot possibly know the why of everything. And this is the classic blunder of those who reject God. Wanting to know, to know the mind of God leads to bad patterns and pride. Uh, the problem of pain and suffering is the obvious perennial question that people ask about God, which causes millions to turn away from God. However, if you come to see that Jesus is God, then his every word becomes fact. His every step to the cross becomes part of the answer. And there is no other answer, or not one that satisfies. Forgiveness and transforming suffering into good just simply works if you work the program that Jesus set forth. If you believe when it's hardest to believe and pray when it's hardest to pray. And after all, and this is good news, we are allowed rage prayers, so you can let it out. Uh, Psalm 88 is for one of those days where nothing makes sense. Psalm 88 is an angry prayer, um, a sad one. and it's, So you're allowed to pray and ask God for help and ask why, and then try to stay on track to say you want to live by God's will. Again, he is the potter, we are the pot. He makes, he forms us, we don't form him. If Jesus agrees that the nations are ruled by evil spirits or the devil, as he does in the desert, then the believer who believes that Jesus is God agrees with Jesus there. And this is the act of faith in action. And yes, this is a stumbling block for those just dipping their toes in the baptismal waters of the Christian life 
But surrendering yourself to Christ requires this leap. However, I don't think it's that difficult of a stretch to believe that something evil drives the nations, uh, that something is rotten in the state of Denmark and all the others. Um, the unending treachery and division among nations makes for a permanent game of chess, and where one nation oversteps, another is all too pleased to play the victim, whilst the victim does the same overt or underhanded work elsewhere. This is, after all, the common language of all people. It's competition and greed, anger and wrath. We all speak original sin. We all speak Babel. Me speak Babel. So if spirits are subject to the same laws as we are, the same commandments, then it would seem that some nations might have a more balanced spirit guiding them than others, at least at times. Or if these spirits are warring, then we are within that war. The lesson is something strange, but something liberating and powerful because it gets you fully outside of the box, the wall of yourself, and into the fullness of time and space, and even a bit beyond without going cuckoo. Here's what, this is what I'm trying to tell you. We are living within a spiritual war. The seasons of a person's life can lead to great heights of presumption and self-righteousness, which can then lead to great public falls on, your, on our faces. Um, when a truly self-righteous, presumptuous demon rules a nation, can't we almost see it? Um, worse, don't we even kind of celebrate it? They are all the nations um, that we talk about the most in terms of history, the ones that were doing the worst things generally. Uh, ancient Egypt, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, the Macedonian Empire, Rome, Nazi Germany, the British Empire, the Soviet Union, the First French Empire, the Spanish Empire, Imperial Japan, uh, North Korea today, America, and now rising China. You know, we don't seek out Polish history like we do the Roman Empire, even though Poland has been in the middle of many wars. I mean, could it be that the ruling spirit of a nation is a real thing? Um, I always thought it was just lazy titling um, done by The Economist, the magazine. I used to read The Economist a lot. But they would run a story every two years or so with the title, The Battle for Latin America's Soul or the battle for the soul of England, the battle for Mongolia's soul, or Canada, or Turkey, whatever. Um, but The Economist, which is not a Christian magazine, it's just a well-written magazine that's sort of dry, um, they may actually be correct when they say the battle for Latin America's soul. A spirit is, in fact, ruling each nation, and like people, these demons are playing out the same zero-sum games that we do on an individual level. Well, this is hard to deal with at first, uh, but if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, then the exchange in the desert with the devil must be taken as a fact. And that is yet another life-changing revelation from the scripture. Um, it, these things are always to me. I used to think people were crazy crazy to believe that praying the rosary could help our country or help stop a foreign war. Um, I would read about the Battle of Lepanto when many Europeans prayed the rosary and the war was won. Um, but I don't think it's crazy anymore. I don't, 
uh, I believe it's crazy not to pray for those things because once you believe in a soul, in God, in Jesus, you know that there is much more happening in this world than what we can see. And Hamlet knew as much. He told Horatio that the ghost was real and Horatio's rational enlightenment mind was blown <laughs> when he saw it, even though he lived before the enlightenment. Uh, you know, and then whenever I come across these things, um, Horatio and the ghost is one of the greatest uh, moments in literature, I think. And I think I should read Hamlet again. Um, but anyway, we know we're told that we have guardian angels who we certainly hope are good spirits. Um, the word angel implies that it is a spirit in God's army, not aligned with the devil. Demon implies evil. And ain't nobody want no demon watching over them. If anything, the demon waits for our guardian angel to look away and hopes we slip. Uh, there's a famous saying, "Their foot, your foot shall slide, something to that effect, where Jonathan Edwards gave his um, sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon about your foot sliding, and that's what the, the demons are waiting for. Um, now, if spirits have free will, then the spirit that is appointed to each nation can make a huge difference in the direction of that nation. A nation who is ruled by a demon that rejects God should then be pretty easy to spot. Furthermore, if spirits are like people, they may go through phases or periods where they follow God's commandments more closely than at other times. Uh, like drunks that fall off the wagon and get back on, spirits may be able to slip and recover. But given that the word demon implies evil, I think it's safer to bend negative here. I would like to believe that some nations have a gentle guardian watching them, um, like Egypt or Poland, who keeps getting steamrolled across the centuries. Uh, could it be that the nations we do not talk about are cursed? Or are they rather like lambs, ruled by more meek and humble spirits, while the superpowers are ruled by those who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls, as we say in the prayer of St. Michael? Um, I don't know. I'm just speculating a little bit there. But the idea of a national spirit will never be the same again to me because of the Tower of Babel and Jesus' dialogue in the desert with the devil. Um, all of this brings up the next point, which actually begins to explain where I fit into this hierarchy. Um, I thought I held a higher rank, like a captain or at least a sergeant or something, but I didn't realize that I'm not even a private in this story. I'm not even at the, I'm very low ranking, and there is something far bigger happening around us than that which we can see with our five senses. All right, we'll wrap this episode up of Why Did Peter Sink? Look forward to chatting with you on the next episode, and we will continue with this Babel series. Thanks for listening. <laughs>